I'm guest, your guest host for today's program. Thanks to our home station, La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. And thanks to the other stations around the country that rebroadcast our show, including KHOI 89.1 FM in Ames, KICI 105.3 FM in Iowa City, KPIP 94.7 FM in Fayette, Missouri, and WHIV 102.3 FM in New Orleans, Louisiana. You can also listen to the Fallon Forum online or as a podcast at www.fallonforum.com. Okay, let's thank some of our business partners in the Des Moines area. We'll start with Gateway Market and Cafe at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's Ed's Grocery Store with a wonderful cafe for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway has an excellent catering service as well. That's Gateway, Market, and Cafe. Also, Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand Avenue in Des Moines for your home, car, property, and life insurance. Stop by, no appointment necessary. Also, Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City for all of your tax and accounting needs. And Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines serving authentic Mexican food with great service at affordable prices. Our guests today are um, America Duran. Uh, she's a young immigrant from Des Moines who's just back from a, uh, uh, an advocacy and lobbying trip to Washington, D.C. She joined 500 other young people from 38 states around the U.S. at a spring lobby weekend organized by the Friends Committee on National Legislation. Uh, America will talk about new legislation supporting DREAMers and people with Temporary Protected Status, or TPS, as well as work to defund ICE and CBP, two federal agencies that are attacking immigrant communities with detention and deportation. Where do Iowans in Congress stand on immigration? How can you lobby for change? Our other guest is Erica Johnson, who directs AFSC's Immigrant Rights Program in Des Moines. She will share about local organizing efforts in Iowa including good and bad legislation at the Capitol, and work among faith communities to build the Iowa Sanctuary Movement. All right. And uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, call us at 515-528-8122. That's 515-528-8122. Okay, let's get started here. Um, America, welcome to the Fallon Forum. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, and welcome back from D.C. Thank uh, you. And uh, please tell us about that experience. What, uh, what yes. would you like to share? Okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me. My name is America Duran. Um, I am a DACA recipient. I am from Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Uh, I arrived here when I was three years old. Um, recently, we went to um, Washington, D.C. for the um, spring lobby weekend. And I can just uh, say that the experience was very um, surreal um, being there with other um, students from Simpson College and Iowa State College um, was an experience that I I have no words to describe. Hmm. I mean, uh, just this is your first trip, right? Among other things. Yes, is right? this is my first trip. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I understand you had three days of uh, training prior to uh, actually taking on the lobbying. Can you talk about that training? Uh, yes. So we had uh, we were there for four days, and uh, the three days that we were there, um, we had opportunities to uh, watch videos, and um, we had uh, guest speakers. Uh, the videos were about um, stories that people have ex um, lived, and uh that could inform us more about the the experiences that people have had throughout um, their their um, their time coming to this country a little bit more um, when they're detained when they're deported um, also we had a guest speaker a Republican his name is um, his name was Ryan Costello yes. Uh, Ryan Costello. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of guest speakers, and uh, on the fourth day, we were able to go lobbying. Okay. Now tell me what. Tell me a little more. Go into a little more detail. What were you lobbying for? What were you lobbying against? What are the issues here? Okay. Well, we were lobbying uh, for um, alternatives 
alternatives for detention centers. We were also lobbying for the HR6 uh, for the DREAM and uh, the Promise Act. And we were um, also lobbying for uh, to defund the um, the detention centers. Mm-hmm. Okay. ICE and CBP, I yes. think. Yes. So. I had a question. Go ahead, Erica. Um, how much lobbying experience did you have before? Um, I had zero, uh, zero none lo- lobbying experience. Did you know what lobbying was? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> did you have something in your mind? Um, no, when I was on my way there, mm-hmm. um, and when I arrived, I was completely clueless. I did not know what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thankful for the training that we had because that made me become a little bit more aware of what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm curious, you know, so you, you're there with 500 other uh, immigrants from across the country, young people. Uh, I, you must have heard a lot of stories, right, from, from yes. these other folks. Could you, would you like to share one, perhaps? Well, um, there were several stories. Um, a lot of, I can say a lot of girls did, um, their stories did touch me, very emotional, um, even to the moment where they began to cry. Um, we d- we watched a lot of stories on video. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Eric, well, Eric, if you'd like to, would you like to describe the HR six a little bit more, the details of this legislation, what it what it involves? Yeah, and I don't know. You guys probably didn't lobby too much on the the Dream and Promise Act, did you? No, not on that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I, I can talk. I can cover that real real briefly. Briefly. So, HR six is a bill that's been introduced in Congress on the federal level. Um, that it's called the Dr- American Dream and Promise Act, and it is a bill that has been introduced to address the crisis that was created when uh, the Trump administration decided to cancel DACA and terminate TPS for various countries. Uh, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's a program that would grant um, literally deferred action from deportation to certain young people who arrived here um, when they were um, very little. Um, And then TPS, Temporary Protected Status, is a program that it has been granted to certain designated country where there's been some sort of upheaval, natural disaster or other thing. Um, And and in Iowa, what that looks like for DACA recipients, there's around um, over 3,000 DACA recipients right now. And then there's we don't really have numbers for TPS recipients, but we serve through our office at American Friends Service Committee about 300 clients through our legal program per year. And, and the majority of them are from El Salvador. And so um, those people who are beneficiaries or recipients of those two programs really have uh, are, are, have been put in a position where their futures are really undetermined. And there's a lot of questions because the programs were terminated by the Trump administration. Um, courts have since upheld those programs and they're continuing until until there's another court decision as far as we can tell but still it's a lot of questions for people right now and so going back to hr6 it's it's a what we think is a really good bill that would provide some um, continuity and um, assuredness for people whose whose futures are, are pretty unsure right now and so we're we're asking iowans to reach out to representatives Finkenauer, Loebsack, and Axney, um, specifically to ask them to co-sponsor the bill along with, uh, at last count, 224 other co-sponsors. And so um, if folks want to contact their members of Congress asking for for that that piece of legislation, that'd be great. But I, I think, um, and hopefully we'll have a chance to, to get folks to D.C. to lobby on that issue sometime in the near future, like we were just talking about. Um, but, uh, yeah, the bills that, that we were talking about more had to do with, um, that you were talking about, had more to do with funding issues. Right. Is that right? Uh, so we had to promote the use of community-based alternatives to uh, detention and prioritize the family unity mm-hmm. and eliminate uh, the detention and uh, profit-making. That profit-making has no place in the criminal justice system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we also had uh, to mention to uh, reduce the use of detention and improve existing detention facility conditions. Um, we also mentioned um, that there about the medical assistance in detention centers, how uh, people are dying in detention centers and there is no medical assistance. Um, we also talked about how it is about $100 per person. Um, it's, that's the cost per person and $300 per family. Um, we just touched all of those subjects and about like how taxes have increased um, 
how that money can go somewhere else. And we, we talked about all of those subjects. We met with um, Joni Ernest, uh, Senator Joni Ernest and Senator Chuck Grassley. Uh, we also met with um, repre repre Representative Stephen King, Steve King, but not with him. We met with his um, staff. And with Representative Cindy Axney, but with same thing. We didn't meet with her. We met with the staff because they weren't there. And uh, so how did those meetings go? What what sort of response did oh, you get? From that's awesome that you got to meet with the senators yeah. themselves. Just oh, that's for right. Yeah, that's that's very impressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was it like meeting U.S. senators? Um, well, <clears throat> it's very unreal. Um, when we were there, um, we when, when you're there, you just... You have the opportunity, you have a few minutes to tell them what you feel and what you want um, them to know. So it was, when you're there, you don't really think about your emotions. You just want them to know what you feel about the about the um, detention centers, about DACA, about a little bit of everything. You only have a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Were you nervous? Um, at the moment when you're there, mm -hmm. that goes away. But before and... Interesting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Why, I wonder? I feel like you just get so excited and you want everything to come out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And what was their response? What 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 did the members of Congress and their staff? How did they respond to your, uh, your sharing your short stories and also the mm. uh, concern about <laughs> le legislation and the issues? Uh, well, um, Senator Chuck, uh, he well he um, I think he was very positive and he he said uh, he was in favor of. Not a hundred percent in favor, but he was um, in favor of the DACA, the Dreamers. When it came to uh, Senator Joni Ernest, when uh, we spoke about um, DACA, she was also in favor, and she also thought it was um, good for later in the future to think about um, maybe even a citizenship to grant citizenship for DACA for DACA um, recipients. But then when we mentioned about um, other people who are in this country and undocumented, um, she was against it. So, okay. so she, was, how about she was asking them to come out of the shadow. And so, yeah, hmm. okay. just more work to do there. More work, yeah. Mm -hmm. How about the members of Cong the uh, House of Representatives staff? What, uh, what sort of response did those folks give you? It didn't go <laughs> very well either. No? Okay. Um, with um, the staff member... Um, for Steve King, it did not go very well. No. But for Cindy Axney, it did go good. Okay. Yes, okay. it went well. Uh-huh. So they listened. You felt like they listened and they... Uh... For Cindy Axney, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. All righty. That's Great. cool. Well, while you guys were there, well, about the week before maybe, we did some in-district meetings, mm -hmm. which is they just visited with their staff while we were, we were here in, in Des Moines because um, they have offices, you know, in D.C., but also around the state of Iowa. And so we met with... Um, Congresswoman Cindy Axney's staff and had a similar conversation. <clears throat> also, she was pretty receptive. Um, this was on the American Dream and Promise Act specifically. And then we met with Senator Grassley's staff and, and the same thing. They were mm -hmm. um, expressed sort of, um, I, I don't know, like sympathy for DACA yes. recipients and said they wanted to find a solution, but were um, they neglected to make any firm commitments to anything. Right. Gotcha. Well, I think it's time for a break. Let's, uh, this is John Craig with the American Friends Service Committee, your guest host for today. My guests are America Duran, who's uh, just back from Washington, D.C., a lobbying weekend uh, with the Friends Committee on National Legislation. Erica Johnson directs the AFSC Iowa Immigrant Rights Program. Uh, and uh, we hope to uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. 
It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns. Someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515 515- 246-8149. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. My name is John Craig with the American Friends Service Committee. My guest today, America Duran, who's uh, just back from a, a Immigrant Rights Lobby Weekend in Washington, D.C., and also Erica Johnson, who directs AFSC's Immigrant Rights Program here in Iowa. We're talking about uh, lobbying and support of immigrant rights, both at the federal and the state level. And uh, we invite your calls at 515-528-8122. That's 515 515- Five two eight eight one two two. Okay, we were uh, we we're talking about uh, America again. America's trip to Washington D.C. Uh, to lobby, but maybe let's back up a little bit. And America, what would you what else would you like to share about your own story um, of immigration and, and your experience here in, in Iowa? About my personal story, um, well, I like I said, I'm a DACA recipient, um, and thanks to that, I am able to work legally. And I have um, a driver's license. Um, I can drive and I can go to school. Um, so I'm very thankful to be um, a dreamer. And I feel that um, if, the, if our DACA would be revoked, that we would be, um, we, we would be, we could be deported maybe. So um, maybe just keep pushing for that to to maintain it, or maybe even push for some type of permanent um, permit. Mm-hmm. So um, that's part of my story. I was raised here. I, I've lived here since I was three years old. Um, uh, I've never been to Mexico. So if I were to move back to Mexico, I would not know very much my way around. I know the language I'm fluent in Spanish and in English, but I, uh, this is where I've lived in Iowa for, for all of my life. And I think I'm not the only one. I think there's more people just with the same story, just like me. 
um, who students who are in college and things to um, um, things to their DACA, they're going to school and working. Some of them have advanced parole, which they can travel abroad or they can do a lot of things with that and have a lot of opportunities just because of DACA. Mm-hmm. You're also you're a small business person, right? Um, uh, yes. Um, I've been doing photography for five years now, and um, I do my taxes just like any other person. Um, I have my business, and uh, I'm proud to be a Mexican woman here in the United States with my business. Mm-hmm. Great. Yes. Great. Yeah. And Erica, how about you? Just a little bit more about your own. Why, why do you do this work for immigrant rights? What, uh, what motivates you? Um... <laughs> Throw that one out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've been um, doing immigrant rights advocacy for um, over a decade, coming up on 13 years now, and um, I've just, you know, had the, the unique opportunity to, to get to know um, people who have lived in Iowa, who call Iowa and Iowa home, but haven't necessarily been born here, um, people who have roots here, um, who might identify as immigrants or might identify as Iowans and um, have seen how our country's immigration laws um, criminalize immigrants and the human right to migrate. And I don't think that's right. I think that Iowa has a history of, of being welcoming and we, we need to do more currently in our current environment to be more welcoming to um, to newcomers or people who um, who are come from a different background. I Came back. I grew up in Iowa. Came came back after a hiatus living in Latin America and Chicago for a while, and um, came back to do organizing, grassroots organizing in Marshalltown. And, and the, the the raid in Marshalltown happened shortly after I moved back to Iowa. And so, over the last you know thirteen years, I've seen time and time again how ICE abuses the community. Um, communities broadly, not just immigrants, but creates really lasting, long-term, devastating impacts similar to natural disasters on um, places like Marshalltown and Postville and Mount Pleasant, where they have these larger scale raids, Um, of course, not just in Iowa, but around the country, that people are are coming together and um, helping helping people bail out, just like they do when a a tornado comes or a flood comes. And um, these long-lasting impacts are caused by the U.S. government's um, just horribly outdated and inhumane main immigration policies. And uh, there's a real need to fix those those policies and make them more in line with our economic needs and more um, humane and more focused toward bringing, bringing families together rather than separating them and, and less militarization of the border like they were um, lobbying for in, in D.C. So that's sort of, I guess, where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Both of you. Um, you know, if we could dig in a little bit more into the the whole funding question. So there's, it strikes me that there's a fair bit of sympathy uh, on Capitol Hill, different parties for for DACA recipients, right? But it seems like it gets kind of stuck when you get into questions of like funding, say, for, so for ICE, the Immigration Customs Enforcement, mm-hmm. for CBP, the Customs and Border Protection, also known as Border Patrol. Um, and also for detention, there are what fifty thousand immigrants detained every night, and it costs in the yeah. billions. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, you know, what, first of all, what did you? How did you approach those issues, lobbying um, in terms of funding? Because the Trump administration wants to increase funding for those programs. Uh, your group, I, I'm sure, is opposed. And so, how do how do you approach those issues of uh, of, of the money, you know, budget, for, federal budget, and those priorities? Jeremy, jump in. Well, we start with the facts when we're talking about about this issue, and, and like America said, like there, this this is not a like theoretical idea, you know, a policy idea that is just exists sort of out there, right? It's a, it's a policy issue that actually impacts people's lives. And so when it comes to the numbers of DACA recipients that could be in limbo, whose lives are in limbo right now, because the Trump administration um, um, rescinded the program back in September of 2017, that's over 3,000 people in Iowa. Um, and then the TPS, again, I don't know the exact numbers that, that we've got around the state, but um, so those are like actual numbers that are connected to actual people who's who are connected to actual families and communities and economic interests in in our state. It's so rescinding these programs or not providing permanent protections would have actual real impacts in, for people in our state. Um, and then the other fact that that's important to note and that our 
our elected officials really need to recognize is that um, overwhelmingly Iowans support a path to citizenship, a permanent fix for DACA recipients. Um, there was a Des Moines Register poll a couple of years ago, and the numbers were like in the, I, I think for DACA recipients around the 80% level, and then broadly a path to citizenship for people without documents um, was around 60%. And so these are overwhelmingly you know, supportive numbers that Iowans want to see a, a common sense solution to these problems that, that have been created um, by inaction of Congress and by uh, administrative um, actions. And so uh, the other thing, you know, when we talk about adding on things like adding money to the border and border militarization, there's there's not as broad support for that. And so when we talk about, you know, the ideas of bipartisanship and finding a solution that more people can get behind, it's pretty clear, at least for Iowans, that when we talk about DACA, when we talk about TPS, there's a piece that people can sink their teeth into and move forward. Uh, the rest of it perhaps gets a little more complicated and there's um, less agreement there. And so that's one of the things that we were encouraging members of Congress to do is to move forward on the thing that there's broad support for. Mm-hmm. Erica, I'm curious, uh, you know, you had the, the three days of training. Um, what, uh, what what sticks with you in your, in your mind or your heart, perhaps? What, what did you learn in that training that perhaps you didn't know before you went? And, uh, and really has kind of has stayed with you? I think most of the things that I, I learned I did not know from the stories that were told from, from the, um, the children who are being detained, from the, even the adults who are being detained and they are dying, um, from, from the stories, personal stories that were told uh, from family members who have been deported and they, didn't, they haven't commit any <clears throat> criminal um, any anything that has has been like a criminal act, and they have been deported. Um, the stories, um, the things we learned from, like Erica said, the facts that we learned. Um, I have never really been into politics, but um, aside from politics, this um, opened my eyes a little bit more and made me be more aware of our, of like uh, our surroundings, how. Uh, we need to to be more informed. We need to be um, not only myself, but I feel that other other people need to keep informed. And maybe they um, they should um, they should also keep some give some of their time and volunteer. I feel like more people should uh, volunteer and uh, maybe join some some groups and. Just volunteer. Mm-hmm. Groups like the American Friends Service Committee, yes. correct? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads into another question. What What can allies do? Obviously, it's uh, uh, you know, what's what's the proper role for allies in this movement? And I hope either of you would like to answer that. Go ahead. I'll fill in. <laughs> you can go first. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it, you know, I'm I'm a, a white lady. I grew up and I was born in Iowa and grew up here and took a hiatus, like I said. But um, I think people need to pay attention. Um, that's what, sort of where it starts is is realizing, recognizing that there's there's an issue, whatever the issue is, um, and recognizing your privilege in that issue and using that privilege as much as possible to right the wrongs that are happening. Um, we, you know, the, what we're talking about are systemic issues, and so it's not an easy fix. Um, and so I I think that. That there's sort of what I like to think of as an advocacy continuum where on one hand, on one extreme, you're just learning about an issue. You're just sort of realizing that there's a problem. And then there's various ways that you can engage on trying to, to fix that that issue um, to come up with, a, again, a systemic solution. Um, and so I would encourage people to, you know, to pay attention, to learn about the issue, but not just to stop there, to actually do something. And, and maybe that looks like donating to an organization um, that's working on immigrant rights issues or, um, you know, border organizations that are supporting people, um, the, the refugees, asylum seekers at the border. Um, and, and maybe it, it means showing up and calling your members of Congress over and over and over and showing up at their offices and doing all these things and then kind of continuing to build from there and, and not stopping ever. Yes, I agree. Um, like I said, I feel that more people should um, join maybe AFSC and uh, dedicate a little bit of their time. And maybe that's how we would see a change. Because Great. I feel that we can, we can do some type of change. Great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, 
I think we're going to uh, run for another break here. Uh, again, uh, John Craig, guest hosting for today for Ed Fallon, uh, guests Erica Duran and Erica Johnson of AFSC. We'll be right back after these messages. Forum. John Craig of the American Friends Service Committee here. Let's thank a few of our local businesses that make the Found Forum possible. Gateway Market and Cafe at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's Ed's Grocery Store with a wonderful cafe for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway has an excellent catering service as well. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Sergeant's Garage at 6th Avenue and College Street in Des Moines where you'll always get an honest assessment at a fair price every time. Hawk Restaurant in the East Village, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farmers and producers, even in the dead of winter. Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been taking care of critters big and small for over 30 years. Our guests, the, guests on today's show are America Duran, who's a young Amer- immigrant from Des Moines who was just back from Washington, D.C., a spring lobby weekend through the Friends Committee on National Legislation and Erica Johnson, who directs the American Friends Service Committee Iowa Immigrant Rights Program here in Des Moines. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 515-528-8122. That's 515-528-8122. Okay, well, uh, during the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, with America about her. This is her first first trip really anywhere, right? Yes. And also first trip, obviously, to Washington, D.C., then... What are some of your favorite highlights of the of the trip part? Maybe the you know aside from the lobbying, which was important <laughs> and, and the whole point of it all. But what what did you enjoy most about the trip? Okay, well we did stay at a hostel, and that was a complete. It was a different experience for me because I have never well I have never traveled, and I have never stayed in a hostel before. We did stay with eight other people. Um, we stayed uh, with a lot of other people. In the hostel, uh, and we got to meet people from all over the country. Um, during our, our trip there, we were able to go um, out in the afternoons because we were lot uh, we were training from eight a.m. to uh, five p.m. So in the afternoons, we were able to go and do a little bit of touring, but we did mostly walking, a little bit of the metro, and a little bit of Uber. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's mostly what you do over there. You do the metro. And uh, we did go. We did. Um, we got to eat at a Peruvian restaurant. We did go by the White House, the Capitol, and uh, we did get to see a few monuments. Mm-hmm. So you enjoyed Washington. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I recommend it for those <laughs> of you who have, who have not visited before. And you said the cherry blossoms are in bloom. Yes, right? I got to take pictures. See, yes. that's cool. Yes. That's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty neat treat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, as I understand it, this isn't your, I mean, you, you mentioned this is your first intro into, like, lobbying, but you've also, mm-hmm. you were up at the uh, Iowa State Capitol, is that correct? With, yes. Uh, and tell us about that experience. What? That was about maybe two weeks ago <laughs> or it was more. like February. Yeah, sometime. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it was longer than that. And uh, we, okay, that was with a lot of um, Democrats, mm-hmm. and we got to tell them our personal story, it was um, it was three of us, and uh, it, there was also a student from Simpson College there, um, Cecilia. Mm-hmm. And we graduate. Graduate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she, I believe she works at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a little bit more of, it wasn't lobbying. It was more of uh, sharing our personal stories with them. Mm-hmm. They got to listen um, and for them to maybe do a little bit of, um, like, DACA and listening about the DACA stories. Mm-hmm. What was their response? Did you end up having any response from them or any discussion? Well, and I felt it was positive. They uh-huh. didn't really say anything. They asked questions, but I think it was a positive response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, good for them to hear, right? Yes. From uh, yeah. And I don't know. You might not have realized this, America. This is some some news to share with you, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But um, during that that panel that that you, Berenice, and, and Cecilia did for the the House Democrats, um, one of the things that we'd asked for was a resolution from from um, Iowa legislators to 
to, you know, urging Congress to pass the um, permanent protections for DACA recipients and TPS recipients. And so that's something that was actually filed last week while you were mm-hmm. in D.C. There is a resolution now at the Iowa State House um, from uh, Representative Ruth Ann Gaines, the, the one that invited you to be a part of that panel, um, doing just that, asking Congress to pass H.R. 6, the American Dream and Promise Act. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty excited about that. Yes. Cool. Well, while we're talking about Iowa, so what, uh, and Erica, maybe a question more for you. What are the issues at the uh, Iowa State House this year regarding immigrants? Yeah, so there's there's three things that we, we've been watching um, this year. There's been a couple of bills that have come up and, and some that didn't survive the funnel dates and the, the legislative process so far. But um, there's one that we just got word that is moving. It's the E-Verify bill. So this is a bill that would mandate that all businesses across the state use the, the government um verification system, work authorization verification system called E-Verify. Um, and the other one, so that's one that's, you know, potentially moving forward. It's on the, the debate calendar in the Senate this week, which means that it could come, could come up at any time. And then the other one um, isn't on the debate calendar yet, but it could any time this week uh, move forward. And that's a really bad bill um, that would, that seeks to collect data on two things, um, citations issued to and public offenses committed by any immigrant. So this is anyone who's not a U.S. citizen or a legal permanent resident, including DACA recipients, TPS recipients, people here on work visas, people are here on student visas, people who are um, undocumented or otherwise, you know, Visiting, <laughs> so a really bad bill that um, that would it's it's sort of like buying into this whole like criminalization narrative that that we hear a lot from the, the national level, um, but local politicians are are you know introducing this bill as a way to kind of continue that criminalization narrative, and potentially would lead to racial profiling from law enforcement if passed as written. And if if amended, could potentially lead our state down the path that Arizona took a couple of years back where they passed a law called the Show Me Your Papers law. So this is another one, like I said, that we're keeping an eye on. Um, Senate File 519 is E-Verify Bill and 570, Senate File 579 is the data collection bill. And we'll let folks know, you know, if, if, if uh, that data collection bill starts to move forward and mobilize people. But then there's the third thing that's sort of the the good bill, the the good resolution that that's been introduced that we we hope to 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 move forward or at least you know ele- use it to elevate the issue of um, HR six on the national level and urge people to take action, including Iowa's elected representatives at the state house. Yeah, thank you. You know, uh, we we talked a little bit earlier, and you know, America is a, as a small business person. Uh, Erica is a somebody from Mount Pleasant, where there was a massive workplace raid. A year ago, about almost right. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, immigrants have a, an, an economic impact on our state, and as workers in Iowa, would you both talk a bit, little bit about that? What's the beneficial economic impact of immigration in Iowa? Oh, I think it's very beneficial. Um, I think immigrants bring a lot to this country. Um, their labor, their culture, um, mm-hmm. a lot. You you can never end um, just with. With the labor, everything we do, um, I have two parents who are very hardworking. Um, I have a mother who, ever since she arrived to this country, she every all she has done is work. Um, my father, as well, he is very hardworking. Um, so that's the best um, example that I can use. Um, people who come to this country um, are very hardworking. They say that we're criminals, but I, I don't think so. Not all of us. Yeah, I think just echoing everything that you just said, America, the the reality um, from an economic perspective is that um, and cultural perspective and just community at large perspective is that immigrants are Iowans um, and have deep roots here. And have um, you know kids that are go to go to school with our kids and play with our kids and are friends with our kids and um, our our futures are at this point you know they're they're intertwined to a point where we couldn't undo those <laughs> intertwinedness <laughs> if we tried um, and nor do we want to and and you know and that doesn't even speak to the the very real labor needs that our state has and and what would happen to our manufacturing industry or agricultural industry if these um, protections like DACA um, were taken away or TPS were taken away um, and what would happen if you know the the unreasonable idea of deporting everyone who doesn't have documentation um, what that the impact that that would actually have the the raid that happened in Mount Pleasant 
wasn't a huge raid. They only got 32 people, you know, so by by standards of larger cities, that's that's not a lot of people. But the impact that that's had in, in my hometown and um, of, you know, I, I think when I was growing up, it was like 9,000 people. I think it shrunk since I left, as, as many rural communities are around the state. And um, the impact that taking 30, like, ripping apart 32 families has is um, goes deep <laughs> in those rural communities and has long-lasting impacts. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, boy, anything, any other questions? Well, I know here's, here's what I was <laughs> slipped my mind and has come back in. Great. So AFSC has a rapid as a, a hotline, correct? That people can uh, call if there are, uh, uh, I to report ice activity. Would you like to talk about that? Sure. Yeah, we um, we launched a statewide ICE Immigration Customs Enforcement reporting hotline in February of 2017, and that's still run out of our office. And the number is 515-996-0003, or folks can call our office. Um, and that's for folks, people, families to call if they've had a loved one who's who's been detained. Um, and then for allies, th- what's important about that hotline is that the hotline is connected to seven community response teams around the state. So anyone around the state could call um, and report that they need help, some sort of assistance in their community. And our job would be connecting them to, you know, people in Grinnell or Ottumwa or Northeast Iowa or wherever around the state that um, that there is a, a community response team. And so if if you are interested in, in building a community response team and you're part of the state, feel free to contact our office. Um, you know, there's seven, but we could use more folks, more boots on the ground when it comes to uh, trying to hold ICE accountable in our state and um, limit the harm that they're doing in our communities. Would you like to give the hotline number one more time and then also how to get in, get in touch with you? Yeah, 515-996-0003 is the hotline number. Uh, it would also be a good idea for folks to follow us on Facebook. American Friends Service Committee Iowa is a way that's, you know, where you can get news and resources and updates and action alerts. And also sign up. Go to our webpage, afsc.org backslash Iowa, to get signed up for uh, regular email updates. We send at least monthly reports about what we've been doing, um, what's going on in the community, and then ways to get involved, and uh, we'll be sending action alerts when there's legislative happenings. Okay. Uh, Eric, if you, as long as we have a little bit of time, would you like to talk about the uh, legal services program that uh, Jody Mashik directs at American Friends Service Committee? What What's that involve? Who's that benefit? Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, so American Friends Service Committee, um, just in terms of background, is a 102-year-old Quaker organization. We work on peace and justice issues around the world. Um, And in in Iowa, we work on immigrant rights issues and have since 1995. So coming up on what? I'm not very good at math. 24. I was going to round up 30 years, <laughs> <laughs> like a good organizer. Yeah. Um, so we've been working on immigrant rights in Iowa for a long time. And, and what we do, we do that two ways. One is um, advocacy and organizing, which we've talked a lot about today, mobilizing community members, um, um, mobilizing leaders to, to, to work on issues that are important to them that have what we believe would be systemic changes um, to address these big issues. And then the other arm of the program is our legal services, where we serve about 300 clients per year, immigrants from around the the state. Um, Jody Mashik um, leads that program, and Berenice Nava Romero Romero is the um, administrative assistant for for that program and for our office. And they do a lot of work helping people file paperwork, doing um, clinics for for people, and broadly trying to navigate this mess of an immigration system, the the laws that, um, that have real impacts on people's lives. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, America, what, what's next for you? What do you see as next steps in your, uh, in your journey, both you know, personally, professionally, and then also as, in terms of advocacy for immigrant rights? What do you see coming up next? Oh, well, um, I have in the past helped with uh, to file TPS, and I have also helped to file uh, DACA, and I would love to continue to file, uh, to help other people file um, for those type of uh, clinics. Um, I'm going to continue with my job as a photographer, um, and I would love to keep volunteering if I have, as time permits. Mm -hmm. And um, I would also just like to mention that this country is so diverse. When we think of immigrants, we always think of Mexico, 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 but no, it's um, going to the spring lobby weekend um, made me realize that there's people from all over the world in this country, and um, I met a lot of people from different different countries with different cool. stories. So 
if anybody has the opportunity to come maybe next year or whenever there is an opportunity, I would really recommend you to be a part of it. It's a very neat experience, and uh, you don't have to be into politics, but if you have a story you would like to share with maybe one of these senators, um, you can definitely do it later on in the future. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. Erica, next steps, what's uh, what's on tap? What's what's coming down the road for uh, immigrant right, immigrant right to work? Um, well, tomorrow we've got a, a Know Your Rights session at Weeks Middle School. Um, We've been getting reports that ICE is, you know, has is still active around the state and specifically in the central Iowa area. Um, so if folks are interested, 530 tomorrow at Weeks Middle School, um, it, it'll be a presentation that's bilingual directed at community members um, hoping to, you know, help people understand what their rights are should they encounter ICE and be able to exercise those those rights and then do some, some planning with their families in the event that a worst case scenario happens and somebody is detained. Um, we just got done with a couple of tours of the Polk County Jail to try to get a sense of how ICE is operating at the county level. And so um, we'll be hopefully issuing a report and some recommendations from those visits. Um, if, if more folks are interested in that, they can contact our office too um, to find out more. And then the legislative happenings are always always a big thing. And um, leadership development over the summer, we've got some things planned for that. But yeah, there's always something going on in this in this day and age right now when it comes to immigrant rights. And so we're, we're working to build build systems of support in Iowa for the long haul so that we can, you know, in 10 years not be in the position that we're in now. So um, asking folks to get involved to, to commit for the long haul to, to stand with us as we uh, fight for immigrant rights in Iowa. Great. Thanks. Well, we're, we're almost running out of time, but I can't guest host the Fallon Forum oh. without mentioning the climate crisis, climate change and whatnot. Yeah. Did that come up at all, Eric, America, in uh, during the FCNL lobbying uh, um, training? No, to be honest, no. Did it come up at all? No, okay. not that I can recall. Okay. As mm -hmm. I understand, 60 million people around the world are displaced, many, many because of climate change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Erica, do you want to comment on that at, at all? That yeah, is. I think, you know, the, the issue of climate change specifically as it relates to immigration is, you know, complicated as all issues related to immigration are, but it's one of the driving factors that's forcing people to to leave the Northern Triangle, especially in Guatemala. We've heard about farmers who who um, just can't support themselves and their families anymore because of severe droughts that we know are, are caused by climate change. And so, um, so it's a very real issue. And, and thinking about the future of migration and, and how we will collectively address these really complicated, inter intertwined, intersectional issues is is super important. Um, and in a discussion that's very timely right now, as we've got so many people presenting themselves at the border, who um, many of them are sort of by extension and, and a compounded um, asylum refugee, refugees because of the climate um, crisis. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the situation at the border these days is really kind of, I don't know what the term for it, flooded. And we were seeing flooded with people yeah. so, uh, as seeking asylum. Yep. Well, th I want to thank you very much again. Again, our guest today, America Duran. Just a young immigrant from Iowa, business person, uh, back from a spring lobby weekend in Washington, D.C. with the Friends Committee on National Legislation. America, thank you. No, thank you for having us. That's great to have you. And uh, Erica Johnson, who directs the AFSC Immigrant Rights Program in Des Moines here. Uh, that You can find us on the web, www.afsc.org slash Iowa, and also Facebook. Uh, check us out there. And uh, so thanks again for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. This has been John Krieg. I work with AFSC, do communications work. I've been guest hosting for Ed, who's uh, on a book tour. Uh, if you're listening on one of our community-owned stations that rebroadcasts the forum, stick around. We've got more conversation for you. Uh, again, thanks again to station manager Juan Rodriguez, producer Ashley Martinez, and production assistant Sherry Hardina. Thanks again, folks, and tune in again. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. I'm John Krieg, your guest host today. I work with the American Friends Service Committee here in Des Moines. I do Mid Midwest Regional Communications work. And uh, my guest in this extra segment is Erica Johnson, who directs the uh, AFSC Iowa Immigrant Rights Program. Uh, Erica, we've been talking a lot, of course, a lot of over the past hour, and uh, I always think that that stories um, are important for people in terms of like connecting, understanding the human impact of the immigration system on people. Could, are there a couple of stories that come to your mind that, that could illustrate that? Yeah, I mean, over the <laughs> over the last couple of years specifically, um, you know, since during 2017, 2018, there's been just lots and lots of stories in the community that we hear about. Um, 
that often we we try as we might can't do a lot to help with but um and, and some folks who are involved in the iowa sanctuary movement might might already know the story of liliana but uh liliana was the 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 mom from des moines who was um picked up by ice uh she was riding with her four family members extended family members and they were on their way to work one morning and um they were pulled over in the parking lot of mercy hospital here in des moines and um the three the three people that she was with they were they happened to all be men they were all picked up they were all arrested um she let the ice agents know that she was a sole care caregiver of a um a small child he was five months at the time um still nursing and so they let her go and so she called her uncle to pick her up and he took her home and then when they got home uh they they lived not far from um where i used to live in, here in des moines and they they got to their their house and ice was waiting there for them and, and picked both of them up and so we we fought um pretty hard to try to get liliana out of detention so she could be reunited with her five-month-old uh, infant um we're ultimately unsuccessful over a period of weeks uh, we even though we had pro, some great pro bono help from um from attorneys uh from the trace Hooker law firm we tried to track her and get her out of detention between marshalltown and grand island nebraska where ice moved her um which felt like an intentional move to 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 distance her from any sort of community or legal supports and she was eventually deported. We um, we met with members of Congress. Uh, there's congressional staff to try to get help getting her out of detention, and none of it worked. So that, that's one story that um, that doesn't have a happy ending. I don't I don't have a whole lot of <laughs> stories that have happy endings. But um, you know, Liliana's family, the the people who were sort of left behind in the house, saw ice outside in the yard arresting Liliana and, and the uncle, um, and were as anyone could well imagine, we're terrified that, that ICE was going to come back and, and get them too. And so we, we had talked to that family about the idea of sanctuary just as a way to sort of maintain their um, their sense of dignity um, while they got their affairs in order and prepared to, to leave the country. Mm-hmm. I know that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough time, obviously, right now. But, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about the Immigration Legal Services Program. There are Part of, much of what that program can focus on is uh, helping reunite families when 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 it's possible, and I know that that's that can be a real bright spot, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know Jody Jody Mashik, our with our legal services department gets um, gets that sometimes rare opportunity to, to to see the end result of an arduous, long, expensive process of of bringing families together. Um, but I mean, she's also I, I don't have a whole lot of you know super happy stories to report right. on that right now, but. Um, but un- unfortunately, we do hear of things like the, the travel ban impacting people in Iowa, where a, a young mom came into our office earlier this year and, and just to check on her paperwork and to see why it was taking so long. And um, all we could tell her was that, that this is how our country is, has decided to treat immigrants right now. And she was waiting for her you know, minor children to, to join her from the Middle East. I can't remember what country, but it was one of the countries impacted by the, the travel ban. And um, so hearing, you know, moms in our office crying, grieving that they can't be united with their, their, their kids. It's, um, a pretty stark, not just reminder, but like actual example of how our country is treating immigrants right now. Right. And yeah. Real life, uh, situations. Well, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned <laughs> briefly sanctuary earlier. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to explore your, you've been uh, a key organizer of the Iowa sanctuary movement. Uh, would you like to tell us what is that? What's sure. the, what's its goals? Uh, what, tell us about it. Yeah. So, um, Early in 2017, or maybe late in 2016, a, a group of um, immigrant rights advocates and faith leaders from around the state um, started having some conversations about how in the ally community or uh, white community we could do more to show up, um, quote unquote, show up for, for immigrants in what we were anticipating to be sort of a, an, an environment of stepped up enforcement, which has turned out to be true. And so. Um, so that, that resulted in um, a, a specific conversation about building a movement in Iowa called the Iowa Sanctuary Movement. Um, so we've got, the network has grown over the last couple of years to include f- uh, 14 congregations um, and organizations around the state who are part of the sanctuary network, um, three which are offering actual literal sanctuary to people who fear or face deportation, and then um, the, the rest are 11 that are what we call supporting congregations, or maybe they don't 
they don't have a place that would like make sense for someone to, to live literally, but they want to provide support in, in some way. And so that's what the network looks like right now in Iowa. Mm-hmm. What uh, I'm, cu- I'm curious, like what, so tell us a little bit about the history of sanctuary and also sort of the, the faith basis of it. What, you know, sure. AFSC is a Quaker organization, mm-hmm. believes for example, that there's that of God in everyone. Therefore we shouldn't be uh, detaining and deporting uh, people like we're doing. What, what, yeah, react to that, please. Yeah, so, um, and and there's probably a lot of people out there who can speak to the history of sanctuary and seeking refuge better than I can, but, um, the, the history of sanctuary is, is one that's deeply rooted in the faith community and goes back very, 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 very long time. And so, like, more, more recently, we think about the, the sanctuary movement in the 1980s, where folks were um, providing refuge to people who, similar to, to now, were seeking refuge from things happening in, in Central America. Um, and before that, you know, kind of walking backwards through time, uh, the Underground Railroad movement uh, for people who uh, recognized the injustice of the, the, the laws in the U.S. that allowed for slavery. Um, before that, you know, in, um, like the, what, what do I want to say? Medieval times and, uh, the Roman empire before that. And then ancient Hebrew times that are, there's biblical documentation of, of faith communities recognizing that there's a set of unjust laws and providing people, individuals refuge from that set of unjust laws. So that's sort of the model that we were, um, the, the the sort of history that we were standing on, the tradition that we were standing on when we uh, decided to to embark in this endeavor in Iowa. In fact, the term sanctuary, you think of what, you know, what do we call a church, right? right? Yeah. Uh, we call it a sanctuary. So it should mean something, right? Besides well, yeah. a nice building. Well, that, and that's the, it, it does mean something, absolutely. And it, it has become a loaded political term that, um, that people have used as a bad word, um, specifically in reference to ideas like sanctuary cities um, and and trying to sort of like put out this idea that sanctuary cities are bad and um, when there really is no legal definition for a sanctuary city and um, and uh, schools and things like that so so the church is actually um, is like a concrete place that people can can live in and and are pr- provided some level of t- protection because of Department of Homeland Security's own own policies related to that issue, um, sensitive locations and, and other things. To your knowledge, then there's nobody in sanctuary uh, in Iowa right now. Not that we know of. Um, we are a part of the National Sanctuary Movement, and know that there's around 46 individuals that are living in in sanctuary around the country right now. Um, in Iowa, the as as the um, environment, the anti-immigrant environment has sort of um, shifted and, and changed over the last couple of years, uh, communities around the state and advocates across the state have really found new ways to respond to the needs. And so have become more of the idea of sanctuary in the streets instead of just literal live-in sanctuary where people are, um, allies are accompanying immigrants to their ICE check-ins, uh, are offering to accompany people to their court check-ins, are offering, you know, to serve on rapid response teams when ICE is conducting an operation or when people think that they're uh, being surveilled by ICE. Um, and even now supporting asylum-seeking families, people who are here in Iowa, um, seeking asylum but don't have any means to support themselves because they're not allowed to work and so um, we've got a couple of families that the Iowa Sanctuary Movement is supporting through through that. And in fact uh, you know a year and a half ago AFSC celebrated its centennial or 100th anniversary yeah. and uh, we had our guest speaker was Jeanette Vizguera from uh, Denver Colorado a, a national leader in the immigrant rights movement one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in this country mm-hmm. and uh, recently um, uh, well can you update us on Jeanette's status. Yeah, so Jeanette, uh, we were so honored to have Jeanette join us um, at our centennial in November of 2017. She um, had lived in Sanctuary for, for uh, a certain period of time. I don't remember what the length of time was, but but had since gotten out and was, um, you know, using her voice and her experience to advocate for more humane immigration policies and to talk about the idea of Sanctuary. And so she came to Iowa and, and was a keynote then and has continued her advocacy since then. But up until about, what, last month, I think, when she was forced to, to go back into sanctuary um, because she got word that ICE was um, seeking her detention and deportation again. And so, um, so yeah, so Janet is, is still doing <laughs> what she does best and doing advocacy for, for more humane immigration policies, but she's uh, gone back into, into sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Erica, we don't have a whole lot of time left. I just maybe if you don't mind repeating again, how can how can people get involved? How can they get in touch? What what should they be doing? What's uh what's the next steps kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> the folks can get in contact with our office absolutely um, through Facebook or through our, our website and signing up for email updates through our website afsc.org/iowa. Um, but you know, there's there's a world <laughs> of things that people can get involved in right now. And, and I sort of think about it in, in three categories. Number one is limiting the harm of the current uh, administration's immigration policies. Um, and the, the second one is, is doing public education. Um, so educating yourself and not, not just yourself, but those around you, your community on, on this issue. And the third one is advocacy. So um, showing up to do, um, you know, at senators' offices and congressional offices and representatives' offices, legislators' offices to, to call for real policy change to address the systemic issues here. Um, so those are three things. But right. to get more specific, I would encourage people to follow us on Facebook and uh, sign up for our email alerts. Yeah, great. Well, thank you very much, Erica. Appreciate your time today. And uh, thanks again for uh, for joining us and tuning into the Fallon Forum. This has been John Krieg, your guest host today with the American Friends Service Committee. Filling in for Ed Fallon. Ed's on a uh, book tour heading out east, and uh, we wish him well promoting his uh, book, Marcher Walker Pilgrim. Thanks to station manager Juan Rodriguez, producer Ashley Martinez, production assistant Sherry Hardina. Once again, this is the Fallon Forum. Thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.